I'm Sue Katz-Miller, sitting in for host Jack Gordon for the next two shows. This is Interfaith-ish. Interfaith-ish airs every other Wednesday on Tacoma Radio from 9 to 10 a.m. We're a talk show, and we bring you bold conversations about how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. So today I have a fascinating guest here from the D.C. area, Mackenzie Bills. She wears many interfaith hats, and we're going to jump right in. Mackenzie, welcome and good morning. Good morning. Happy to be here. So glad you're here on this hot midsummer day. Mackenzie Bills has been a fellow at the Religious Freedom Center here in D.C. She's also worked at the State Department. She has been a national leadership team member at Interfaith Youth Corps, which is an interfaith engagement program for college students. And she also founded her own civil dialogue organization called Bridge. Those are all capital letters in Bridge. And she's also here today to talk about a program that she's launching this fall for local high school students. So that's an exciting opportunity. I think some people in our listening area might be interested or they might have kids or young people they know who might be interested. So we're going to hear all about that. Mackenzie, um, I understand that this idea of working with high school students came out of some of work that of the work that you did overseas. So can you start by giving us some background on the countries you've lived in, which I think are several, Mm -hmm. and how that work inspired you to do interfaith engagement work? Yes, thank you so much. I spent some time living and working abroad one year in sub-Saharan Africa. I lived in Djibouti and in Kenya. And then I did one year where I taught English at a public school in rural Malaysia. I was in Pahang. Uh, which is a very interesting place because there's a lot of religious minorities, more religious minorities than the Muslim um, Malay group, which holds uh, a majority in the country. And I had specifically asked for that school because I wanted to do some interfaith community building within the school. Can you tell us like what would be the different religious minorities in Malaysia? Yeah. Uh, so uh, the majority is Muslim Malay. Then there are... There's Orangasli, which would you, we would maybe consider the indigenous population, and a lot of them, due to colonial era, are Christian, both Catholic and Protestant, uh, depending on which village you're in. Uh, then, due to immigration patterns, uh, there are there's a large Chinese population, and they consider themselves Taoist or Confucius, depending on who you talk to. And then there are Hindus, and they mostly come from southern India. Wow. So very global. Yes. India or Malaysia is a very global country and ever more so with the number of refugees that they also are taking in. Um, And then sometimes you might, if you're in KL or some of the cities, you get some, a large Middle East population. So, wow. So you were there teaching high school. Yes. So I was there teaching high school and I really had this idea. I wanted to try to do some sort of workshop program where I could bring all of these students together through youth empowerment and to help encourage them to think uh, how they can work with each other because there's some major, although it's a very diverse community, there's major segregation that goes on in Malaysia. So I would sit in a classroom my Malays would sit at one table, my Christians would sit at one table, my 
Hindu was would sit at one table, mm. uh, and so they and they wouldn't talk to each other. It was um, definitely it was like even segregation within the community. Only certain developments. Um, there's this thing called Bumi Putra, where the Malays get more money just for being Malays um, and to get to live into certain areas. So it was really important for me to be able to bring this idea of interfaith and having them live uh, together in peace within even the school day. Um, and so not only I try to do that in the classroom, I thought, how can I do um, this workshop? So I thought of this camp. Uh, and so I was working on building this camp when I found out two other Fulbrighters, one in Thailand, uh, in Chiang Mai, and one other in a different part of Malaysia wanted to jump on it too. So it ended up becoming this massive uh, Thailand-Malaysia camp. And so we brought all of our students, and I specifically made sure that there was diversity, and brought them to Chiang Mai. We did a whole week of just dialogue, uh, interfaith dialogue, cultural uh, programming. The uh, counselor uh, affairs from the U.S. Embassy came over and spoke, and it was just a really wonderful event, and they stayed in touch. But for me, personally, I really wanted to emphasize empowerment and how to use dialogue to empower each other, and it worked. Wow. Fascinating. We're talking with Mackenzie Bills, a young interfaith activist in the D.C. area who's been around the world doing interfaith engagement. And we're hearing about the camp that she did with youth in Malaysia and Thailand. You're listening to Interfaith-ish on WOWD LPFM. We're here every other week, Wednesday mornings talking about interfaith engagement in the D.C. area and around the globe, because here in Washington, so many of us have this interfaith engagement and global engagement. So many of us have been around the world and then bring those ideas back to D.C. And that's I'm excited about the idea that you developed this concept of an interfaith program for teenagers and that you're looking at bringing that back here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about, okay, you were on a Fulbright. You just threw that in there. <laughs> like that was on the, okay, that's important. And was that your first overseas experience? Hadn't you spent time abroad previously? Yeah, I've, I've spent time abroad in a, a number of capacities. I, in university, I studied abroad in French Polynesia, uh, in Tahiti. Whoa. Tahiti. <laughs> Who does their study abroad in Tahiti? You love that. Yeah, it was amazing. It was a really great experience. Uh, people overlook it in the Pacific Ocean, but they're there. And so. what kinds of religious uh, cultures did you encounter there? Well, so and I, it was very interesting because I, for the first time, saw sort of the effects of Michianic work in French Polynesia and the effects of colonization and how those come together. Uh, I was sort of surprised that there was a large number of the Church of Latter-day Saints that exist hmm. on the island. Uh, and um, there were a number of Protestant. I actually lived in a Protestant hostel run by... Um, <laughs> The, it's funny because they can on the island they're not nuns clearly because they're not Catholic but they considered themselves something of the sort mm. and so um, I lived with them in this sort of hostel and that's where they housed us so it was really great experience some lifelong friendships were made and was there any uh, persistence of indigenous religion there 
in addition to the colonial Christian overlay. Yeah, which is very fascinating because you have um, the Tahitian experience, you have the Tahitian sort of religious and cultural rituals that get in the web webbed into everyday life. And so it's sort of funny because you'll see them wearing uh, these white dresses, but they all will wear these straw hats. And to them, they think that this is something that happens around the world, but it's just specific to the island and what they wear every Sunday. And it's sort of, it's sort of fun to see. So you had this experience in Tahiti and then anywhere else? So, uh, yeah, so I, I did that. And then I luckily went to a small liberal arts school where it was emphasized that if I studied international relations, which I did to do three, we had May term. So I, I had to do a number of May terms. So I, uh, went abroad to study the effects of colonization again in the Yucatan in Mexico. And then I went for a three week to study the Israeli Palestinian conflict. And I went to Jordan and Israel and the West Bank. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. (laughs) And then you just kind of threw in there a while back that you were in Djibouti in East Africa. Yes. Most people don't even (laughs) probably know where that is. Can you just locate Djibouti for us? So if you're looking at Africa, the continent, and um, at the top, if you're looking at it, the top right, so the horn across from Yemen is Djibouti, and it shares borders with Somalia, Eritrea, and Ethiopia. And what were you doing there? So after I graduated, I had received an internship at the U.S. Embassy there to do public diplomacy efforts. So I stayed there, and then there was was no public diplomacy officer, so the ambassador asked me to stay for another six months. So I just stayed and and worked at the embassy. And what was the interfaith religious context there? Oh, Djibouti is fascinating. Um, I mean, 99% Muslim, uh, and it's... Djibouti is interesting because the government, I mean, the government is an Islamic state. So the government gives out the imam's testimonies every Friday. Uh, we would have conversations about whether that is religious freedom if you, for you to, to basically make sure that each imam was announcing the same sort of events uh, and issues. Uh, but what's also fascinating is that within the Islamic community, there are a number of um, Sharia and Sunni uh, communities. And depending on where you live in Djibouti, they they, they inhabit there. Um, but you also have the Yemenis coming. Uh, Djibouti is a major refugee. It holds a number of refugees. So you have a lot of Yemenis coming, which I would <laughs> say is fun culturally to see the difference between Islam in Djibouti versus Islam in Yemen. Uh, And so that kind of adds some complexity to the dynamics there. So in a completely Muslim environment, you saw the complexities of the many forms of Islam. Fascinating. We're talking with Mackenzie Bills. We're here on Interfaith-ish on WOWD. And we're here every other Wednesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. So we were talking about your time abroad in Tahiti, Djibouti, uh, Middle East, I just, the Yucatan. Have we covered them all yet? <laughs> yes, you, I think you Okay, have. <laughs> okay. And then how did you find yourself back here in D.C.? What, what drew you here? 
That's a that's a really great question. Uh, at the end of my Malaysia experience, I was sort of at a crossroads and knew that I wanted to work on continue working on interfaith issues in a collaborative uh, means. And so I was looking at where and how I could do that. And I ended up finding a job working on the International Religious Freedom Reports at the U.S. State Department in the Office of International Religious Freedom. And that really inspired me to be able to see the intersection of uh, interfaith and policy and what that and religious freedom and what that looks like contextually abroad. Because a lot of people are looking, we, we really talk about religious freedom in the U.S. and we look at interfaith in the U.S., but sometimes having that conversation about what that looks like in the rest of the world, not many people were having that conversation. So I wanted to be with those uh, that were analyzing that. And so that's what brought me brought me here so that was at the state department and they they put out this report annually or Mm -hmm. and it it talks about religious freedom around the world Mm -hmm. and does it give sort of report cards on countries so it's man the office of international religious freedom is mandated by congress to put out a report annually every year in may and Basically, the the job is to analyze what it looks like in every country. We we actually, the, the U.S. State Department does not give tier rankings or anything like that. It's just sort of a, a wholesome picture. Uh, we often say in the off, office, we let the words speak for themselves. Uh, you can read any narrative. And so it's descri- it describes the situation in each country yeah. rather than quantifying it. Right. right. And we don't feel it's our job to explicitly judge. There there are 10 countries that we have a list of the CPC, uh, which are just basically countries that we recognize as doing um, awful things <laughs> in the world okay. in terms of religious freedom. Uh, but we only use the list to say, like, we're recognizing that these are some efforts that you can change, and then you can get off the list. Uh, but the rest of the rest of the world is just a descriptive nature, analytical nature of saying this is what's happening in this country. This is what the religious groups look like, uh, and these are the positive efforts. This is the other part that we actually report on. We there's a whole section on just interfaith efforts that we we put in the report, and then we also let the U.S. Foreign Service officers uh, use the report to make suggestions for the government on how they can actually better uh, interfaith in in their communities. So then you were also at other jobs in D.C. already. Or internships? Uh, previously in college, I actually interned at the Religious Freedom Center when it first started. And can you explain the Religious Freedom Center to people who aren't uh, yeah. familiar with it? So the the museum is actually owned and operated out of a foundation, the Freedom Forum. And part of that, there's two arms. There's the museum itself, and then there's the education wing. And within the education wing is the uh, First Amendment Center, and within that is the Religious Freedom Center, because the Religious Freedom is one of the five amendments in the First Amendment. Uh, or not amendment, the, one of the, the five areas um, within the, fir- the, the First Amendment. So they do a lot of work on religious literacy. Um, they do civil dialogue sessions, and they also uh, do community-based workshops uh, with, with each religious sort of uh, context. So I worked at the beginning as an intern, but then when I came back to D.C., they invited me back as a fellow, and I was working with Kristen Farrington, uh, who is the director of the Religious Freedom Center. Uh, She worked on dialogue because uh, I have practiced interfaith dialogue and civil dialogue in many facets of my life, and so I worked as a dialogue facilitator and trainer uh, with them at the Religious Freedom Center. 
Mackenzie, tell us a little bit more about how that interfaith camp uh, for young people worked. It was in Chiang Mai, in mm-hmm. Thailand, but you brought Malay students over. Yeah. Uh, how many students were involved? We had about 45 students overall, so we ended up having four schools, two uh, two Thai schools and two Malaysia, Malaysian schools, and they Be- were from... Because they were speaking different languages? Uh, well, we, we had them all speak English, so... Okay. Uh, that was their one medium to understand each other, because they, the Thailand... Thai students spoke Thai, and the Malaysians spoke Bahasa Melayu, and so we used English as the as the medium, and so we, we brought them to Chiang Mai, Thailand, because also, although the two countries are next to each other, oftentimes the students never leave and visit the other countries. It's just uh, they tend to stay local, and so it was sort of not only was an experience for them to travel abroad and gain a confidence and experience in that, but it was a an ex- an experience to teach them about cultural and interfaith conversation. And so we were really impressed. We, we did cultural activities. We did just dialogue activities. And I think there are two examples that I said that showed me that the, it was a success. Uh, I came back in the following year during Diwali, which is a celebration in Hinduism, all of my Malay students went over to the Indian, uh, one of my su- Indian students' houses to celebrate Diwali, which is nice. actually a s- no, it's against the status quo. Uh, and to even for the Malay students to enter into that part of the community, it was would generally be no one you would, unheard of. You would never see that. And so I thought this was successful. They're taking it upon themselves, and I'm not even there to tell them to do this. So. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. And the Thai students would have re- uh, represented which religions? Uh, that's a great question. It depends on where you live. Uh, Buddhism is for the north and the central part. But even actually down south, there's a lot of uh, Muslim Thai- Muslims. Okay. So, all right. But all of the Thai students, I think, that were there, most of them were Buddhist. And would there also be some indigenous practices there? Both... There would be, depending on where you are in the country, but unfortunately we actually had one one school from downtown Bangkok and one from downtown Chiang Mai. So more urban urban, environments. Yeah, modern Buddhism. So So this is part of what has inspired you, Mm -hmm. returning to D.C., to think about trying to do interfaith work with high school students. What's your vision there? So I came back to the United States thinking, okay, I've learned all of this uh, about international, I mean, the efforts of interfaith and religious freedom, and I came back here, and I really saw this divide in D.C. I saw that there are people, there are bubbles that do not talk to each other, that that extend beyond religious norms or even cultural, um, ethnic. There are these bubbles. And then it dawned on me, Diana Eck once said, diversity is more within a country or within a religious group than it is outside of it. Uh, and I really hit on me that even in DC, we have all of this diversity and now people are getting closed off by their bubbles. So I thought I can do the same thing that I did there. It worked. I can do it here. And that's inspired me to work on this pro- program that's going to be held the beginning of October, the 4th through the 6th. It's called the DMV Youth Empowerment Retreat. Nice. Oh, yeah. So I'm excited about it. We're here on Interfaith-ish on Wowdy in downtown Tacoma Park. 
And we're speaking this morning with Mackenzie Bills, an interfaither here in D.C., who has done interfaith work around the world and in multiple ways here in D.C. Mackenzie, we were talking about this program that you're planning for October with local teens to do interfaith engagement. Uh, is it interfaith specific or is it other forms of so civil dialogue, intercultural? Yeah. It's actually a mix. It's religious and civil. Uh, the, so something that I've realized is that Yes, religion interweaves into many of the cultural phenomenons here in the U.S., but something else that's going on is the political diversity and geographic diversity and how that manifests every day in terms of our bubbles. And so certain aspects of excuse me, the, the camp itself is actually trying to bring people from West Virginia, rural areas of Maryland and Virginia here into uh, with some with students from downtown D.C. because they will probably never meet each other mm. uh, any other way. Um, and then also making sure that there's different income classes because that also plays a role into the bubbles that we live in. Um, and so in that sense, it's really intersectional with... Um, with its di- within its diversity, so it's not exclusive to religion. However, within religious groups, you can find that diversity. So I'm really trying to make sure that that is a component, and I'm trying to get the word out to religious groups that I think would be interested in this dialogue. So you're including West Virginia. So it's DMVW. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. new. Okay, yeah. and how are you? going to find these students is the application open yet can people apply do they have to be part of a particular community to take part no they don't they don't have to the application is open it closes on august 15th and at that point there will be a board that will choose uh choose the students we hope to have as many students that that can apply so we hope to have much diversity the only within the application they just need to be able to show why they're interested and what they want to get out of the experience because we want students that want to be there and want to be in dialogue uh, because otherwise dialogue won't won't happen if you don't have that curiosity uh, so we're looking for engaged um, and some empowered leaders student leaders within their communities it can be faith communities it can be after school programs it can just be uh, schools themselves so anyone can apply they just have to be between 15 and 17 um, and have a, a reference letter and fill out the application and you said it takes place when? October 4th through the 6th. And it, is, is that around a holiday weekend or something? Uh, what days are those? The Friday through Sunday. Okay. So it's actually just a weekend, so right after school, and then through Sunday um, evening. So. And people who are part of a religious community might have religious obligations on Fridays or Saturdays or Sundays. Mm-hmm. How are you working around that? I know this is an issue that a lot of interfaith programming faces when they want to do a weekend mm-hmm. event. Yeah, unfortunately, I I also serve on the DMV Youth uh, Summit, and that happens every year because just of work with parents and school, we only ever have the weekend, but then during the weekend, you also have uh, religious rituals. So um, Friday for Shabbat, for those that practice Shabbat or have prayer services, uh, we will... Which is the Jewish Sabbath Yes. Observation. (laughs) Shabbat, yeah. Thank you. Uh, We actually will be at um, the sanctuary, which is owned by... Rabbi Schneer, and he's on my board, actually. And so at the retreat center, they practice specific, 
the the sanctuary is meant to be a place for religious communities uh, at as a sanctuary, a place of worship for them, depending on which uh, respective community you come from. So <clears throat> they can they have the ability to address for any needs that any religious community have. So we have places for prayer. Uh, we it's halal. There's um, it's kosher. The food that will be brought in um, because this is has a religious component. We recognize any time that the students need to exit uh, for prayer. Um, or for any specific ritual, they can. So that is not going to be an issue. So a very welcoming and inclusive space and a way for teens to maybe observe or be involved with rituals from other religions. Well, and we... We, I, I also personally believe that there's much to learn by experiencing with someone. Uh, And so we would, we want the students from various religious backgrounds to, to, to practice their own religion. So that way it's an opportunity for someone else to observe and to learn and maybe to practice, practice with them. Um, and so hopefully they, they understand a little bit more about their friends and their peers. And tell us one more time the name of this event. The DMV Youth Empowerment Retreat. Okay, we're here with Mackenzie Bills on WOWD LPFM on the Interfaith-ish show. And she's telling us about the October opportunity for young people from the district, Maryland, Virginia, even West Virginia, to get together in a kind of a retreat location with a lot of support for any and all religions to participate and get to know each other and what what other kinds of activities might they do on this yeah, so I think the beginning aspects we're going to do a civil dialogue training uh, because we want them to practice the skills of dialogue, which often is curiosity, open-mindedness, listening um, and speaking, um, and and being open. And so we'll we'll do some sort of we'll do a minor training, and then we'll have dialogue sessions. Uh, but interwoven in that will be group activities uh, such as. Um, having maybe some presentations, a cultural talent show, uh, and observing religious um, uh, rituals. And then also they will have some fun, like a Saturday night prom sort of sort of event where they can all just en- enjoy there's at the sanctuary there's this whole backyard that's meant and it's it's beautiful there's all flowers and everything around so it's just a nice little place for them to enjoy there's a camp um campsite so we'll maybe make some s'mores or something um anyway so Co- kosher halal s'mores yes <laughs> yes so okay for both jewish and muslim dietary mm-hmm. restrictions yeah And we're here with Mackenzie Bills telling us about this opportunity for young people in October to be part of some interfaith dialogue, some civil dialogue. So if you know a young person who might be interested, Mackenzie, we'll try to get the link up on our interfaith-ish Facebook and elsewhere. But could you give us a link, an email address or an online address for people who might want to find the application? So you can find the application on our website, www.bridgee.com. So B-R-I-D-G-E-E. So Mm -hmm. bridge with an extra E on it. Yeah. Dot com. Mm -hmm. Bridgee.com. Yeah. So we do bridge (laughs) with um, the, uh, the little... 
token with a squared squared at top. That's our uh, that's our logo. So bridge with the squared bridge squared. So this teen uh, retreat summit is under the auspices of Bridge, mm-hmm. which is an organization you founded. Yes. Tell us about that for one minute. So. Briefly, it was just because of this program that I've been working on. It inspired a number of opportunities. Uh, I was able to then create a toolkit to be inclusive for youth uh, that I will be actually sharing at the UN Civil Society Conference in Salt Lake City this August. And so under that, there needed to be an organization. And it was uh, that inspired simultaneously with with the events of my program to create Bridge. So... That's so bringing the hyper local opportunity and then taking it all the way to the UN. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Mackenzie Bills doing big things locally, globally here in the DC area and talking about it with us on interfaith ish W O W D L P Mackenzie, tell us a little bit about your own religious, spiritual, secular journey Mm -hmm. and sort of how do you identify yourself when you are in uh, an environment where people stand up and say, you know, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Hindu. What what do you say? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. Uh, I'll start with what I say and then go through my journey. Uh, I recognize myself as a secular humanist agnostic. Uh, and basically what that means for me is that I, um, I practice certain fam- fam- family and cultural religious uh, events. Like my family practices Christmas and Easter, and I will practice that with them. Uh, however, I view that all religions are equal. Uh, and therefore, we can't, none of them are more right than the other. Uh, and therefore, I'm agnostic in that way. And then I don't believe there is one particular deity or one particular religion that's correct. I just don't know. And I think that they're all equal. And so with that, I view that for social order, uh, we as humans need some sort of answers. And to, to do that is why uh, I've claim to be a humanist um, because I think that we should all abide by the rules that us as humans together collectively have decided um, such as like not killing each other respecting each other um, so much and so forth Uh, my journey though I started out um, younger Uh, I was born and raised in the Methodist church and as I grew up though I noticed some inconsistencies and some criticism um, and just some hypocrisy within the church even my local church and it made me question and so I went into college as an atheist um, and then studied abroad and, and started encountering these other religions and I started finding that I liked bits and pieces of other religions and I was like oh but this is right this could be right you know what makes it and that's how I landed with deciding that I don't I don't think one's more right than the other. So it's fascinating to me because as you probably know the fastest growing response on religion surveys in America is I'm a religious nun, N-O-N-E, not N-U-N nun. It's very confusing. But the religious nuns, N-O-N-E, include a huge diversity of atheists, agnostics, humanists, people who are spiritual but not religious, people who consider themselves religious but can't find one 
traditional religious institution that they want to affiliate with. So it's actually a huge category, but it is growing quickly. And especially among young people, young people are not affiliating with traditional religious institutions the way they used to. And as somebody who sort of falls into this demographic, I'm interested in whether you have theories on why that's the case or mm. what's happening. Yeah, actually, um, I I think the religious freedom is actually why, why I think that we are able to uh, separate religion in a private in a private spiritual way rather than publicly. A lot of these other countries that I've been to, religion is such is sort of synonymous with cultural or ethnic diversity and how social arc hierarchy takes place. In the US, we've separated out because of the re- freedom of religion, we have said that religion is private, something that we talk about at home, we don't really talk about in the public space. Or if you do, you have the ability, but it happens in a pri- uh, a different private space. You you choose to go there, you choose to practice that. Uh, and so with that, I think what happens is you you start to realize that your identity and how you recognize yourself, it's not, I'm a Christian first and then I'm an American. We flip the switch and we say we're American and then we're Christian. And now younger people are saying, well, what does it mean to even have to say you're a Christian? I'm an American and I'm culturally whatever that is entails, which uh, I think historically there's a lot of religi- uh, Christianity that's sort of interweb uh into our American capitalistic ideals, but at the baseline, I think we're now just saying, well, I'm an American first and foremost, and I am XYZ American, not necessarily a Christian anymore. And I think that's why we have a lot of younger populations that don't claim, uh, they claim to be none. Mm -hmm. And what do you see in the diversity of those nuns when you're working with young people uh, in interfaith engagement work, do you feel a sense of solidarity when you meet somebody else who is a secular humanist? Is that, is that becoming an important part of people's identities, you think? I think so. I think it's this idea of, in general, just secularity, saying that I, I might practice, uh, a, I might, I, my practice might be separate from my own spiritual beliefs. Uh, some, that's how you end up with people that are um, both Buddhist uh, and then maybe also Christian, right? They like the practices of Buddhism, sort of the meditation um, of it, but then also actually believe in something. So I think it's just that separation of saying what I believe and how I might live my life. It can be two different things, and that should be accepted. And when you're working in interfaith engagement, you know, formal dialogue, programming, um, what is the reception these days of people who do identify themselves as atheist or agnostic or secular humanist? Do, do you feel included completely in that interfaith space? I think there, there, and definitely in certain areas of the country, there's discrimination uh, to not be to be secular to claim that you're atheist because oftentimes people view choosing atheism as rejecting religion as a whole and that how silly of you to be, to be believing in something greater than yourself. Um, but in a lot of ways, I actually believe that atheism is actually just another form of religion. It's another form way of life, um, similar to agnosticism, um, and humanism. And so I think we need to separate and get rid of all of this discrimination and just recognize that how each one of us believes, uh, is just equally as justifiable. So, yeah. Interesting. And tell us a little more about 
your other local interfaith engagement um, work, you have also been an organizer on the annual Interfaith Leadership Summit. Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so actually, um, I was connected with a few IFYC alum alumni in locally. That's Interfaith Youth Corps, which is the college program you were involved with. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Miranda, who I think you actually know, she's my fellow Ishtronaut <laughs> and occasional host here on Interfaith Ish. Yeah, yeah. So we became friends out here. We actually roomed together at the Parliament of World Religions. And um, she told me, you have to be on the organizing committee. So I help organize some of the events and the leadership summit that happens every January. And that's an annual event specifically for young Washingtonians doing interfaith engagement work. Right. I know I'm too old. I'm a, li- I'm a little bitter about that. I complain to Jack Gordon about it a lot. Our, our primary host here, Jack, on Interfaith-ish was a, uh, one of the original organizers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, he is. Uh, and he actually did, uh, the last time we had Interfaith-ish come and do a recording, actually, at the summit. That's where they we did our live show, our live Interfaith-ish show yeah. at the last summit. Were you there? Yes, I was. Yeah. I was. How was that being in the audience for Interfaith-ish live? Oh, it was fun. Um, I, I'm, I, I didn't get to speak or anything, but it was fun listening and hearing other people have conversations with one another, which is nice. So back to the humanism. Um, what is it, as we're wrapping up our hour here on Interfaith-ish, as a humanist, what is it that motivates you to do interfaith work? I, well, I, I think it comes from this idea that morally we should, I think my morals and where, where those morals come from is a whole other story, but to say that we all should respect each other and appreciate just who we are as human beings. And I think interfaith in interfaith dialogue and civil dialogue is what that's all about. It's just respecting each other and respecting our diversity of opinions and beliefs. And that's what we're all about here on Interfaith-ish. Mackenzie, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I've had such a lovely time. You've been listening to Interfaith-ish. Every other week, we're here from 9 to 10 a.m. You can hear all of our previous episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. And you can follow Interfaith-ish on Facebook and Twitter. And you can email us to let us know if there's Interfaith-ish you wish to dish. Write to interfaithish at gmail.com. Stay tuned because up next is Borderlines on the People's Voice of Choice, WOWD. Thank you. Thank you.